Mental health struggles will crush us when we go through them alone. But when you walk through them with a covenant friend who knows you fully but loves you anyway, it's not even enough to say your outcomes change. Yes, your outcomes change. Your whole life will change. I mean, anxiety is not the same when you walk through it with a friend. Depression is not the same when you walk through it with a friend. They're, they're hard. I'm not saying they're easier, but you can make it alongside a friend. And science will show you over and over. Happiness, empirically documented to be connected to good relationships. Longevity, empirically documented to be connected to deep relationships. So I'm trying to tell people this idea of covenant friendship, this isn't for after you stop being busy with parenting. Or this isn't, this isn't for after you get done with this hard season of work. This is for right now. You need it for the crush of parenting. You need it for the crush of work. You need it wherever you are. Well, Justin, thanks so much for joining me again today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. You're welcome, Diane. So glad to be here again. I know. I was looking back. You joined me on episode 197, and that was on your book, Habits of the Household. And I'm fairly certain that's the second highest rated or most downloaded episode I've ever done. So people loved what you said. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, that that's a surprise and an honor. What's the first? I'm so interested. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Shira Gill, and it's declutter then elevate or something like that but you okay. two were pretty close in downloads well i need to go listen to that one then <laughs> yeah no i think you've written several books at this point today you're here to talk about made for people why we drift into loneliness and how to fight for a life of friendship but that one habits of the household i think that was a game changer for a lot of people uh, now it's that's been great that book has done a lot more work than honestly i expected it to do which is thrilling. I think I felt totally overwhelmed by becoming a parent and trying to figure it out. And I felt that, you know, habits and thinking about them in the household were a complete game changer for me. I'm just really grateful that so many other people feel the same because, you know, it feel, always feels good to be useful. I will say what's interesting is that for me, this next book that we're about to talk about, Made for People, was... It was really the next step in the progression for me. It was about, all right, I've been working on getting meaningful habits in place with my wife and kids. One of those habits was the art of conversation. That was chapter, I think, eight in the book. And it really had to do with talking to your kids and letting them see you talk to other friends. And as I've grown in that, it became almost urgent to me to say, wait, what a parent needs most um, is other people who are walking with them through their parenting and particularly who aren't in the house so that you can get out to another mom or another dad and say is this normal is that normal how are you feeling and that to me was is just the art of friendship and as I explored it I, I, I kept thinking this deserves a whole book and here we are Yes, that was something I wanted to mention. It is different from your first couple of books. And now you're taking the conversation outside the home. So I'm excited to talk about it. But I'm curious to know, this book comes after a period of intense loneliness during COVID. So I mean, was that a prompting? Did you consider that? that that's a great question. And there's a, uh, a right answer and a real answer to it. The, the right answer is yes. Like the made for people I thought felt even more urgent to write because we are actually 
in an empirically documented epidemic of loneliness in the United States. Most people have heard this by now, but it's worth noting the intensity of the statistics. We are and we have been for about five years dying younger as American. The deaths that are making us below the average are deaths of despair. They're, they're nasty stuff, suicides, drug overdoses, mental health crises, um, things that, are, that shouldn't be happening and that are preventable. And so like our best, our best health professionals are telling us we now know something that we didn't actually have documented before, and that is that loneliness kills the body. So not putting effort and not putting the work into friendships is like eating all the toxic stuff that we usually eat. It is like smoking all the things that we usually it, it is on the level of diabetes and smoking in terms of health problems. That's the right answer. And as we all know, COVID made it worse. But the real answer, Diane, which I think is important, is much more personal than that. The real answer is that I've looked to my right and my left in these past couple years and seen the difference between people who are falling apart and the people who are enduring is whether or not you're keeping close friends by your side. And notice, all of us are struggling with really hard things, whether it's pandemic and post-pandemic things, whether it's the difficulties of being a mom or a dad in the early years of parenting, whether it's just the crush of strangeness and the political age that we're living in, uh, economic uncertainty, there's like no shortage of crises. I often compare this time to the 1960s. Like we're, people will look back and say, whoa, look at all the stuff that that decade went through. Um, but we all face that. We all face that suffering. We all face those difficulties. But the people who face it alone are crushed by the mental health struggles, are crushed by the parenting difficulties. The people who walk alongside friends experience radically different outcomes. And so that's, and, and I look at my friends and I think, were it not for them, I would not be where I am. I look at my wife and without her people to talk to, she would not be where she is. If we did not have really close friends outside of our marriage, we wouldn't be where we are. So I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm honestly trying to look at parents and say, love that you loved Habits of the Household, keep reading it. You wanna know, what else is urgent, like right here, important for you to work on, is whether or not you're parenting beside friends or not, whether or not you're running your household beside friends or not. That's a make or break issue. And it's a personal one for me. Absolutely. It's that support system. And I think it is probably harder for certain individuals that are more introverted, but I, I'm a really big fan of Peter Atia. Are you familiar with him? Yes, I have heard of um, some of his work, yeah. Yeah, so he has a recent book called Outlive, The Science and Art of Longevity, and he talks about the four pillars of health. It's obviously, we know three of them. It's food, sleep, exercise. That's but right. that fourth one that he wanted to write about was your emotional well-being, your, like you said, the despair element. So many people are dying early because they have this despair and this loneliness. And he's a researcher. He, the research is there. So go get Outlive and then go get your book because you are giving us a how-to guide and showing us why the support is so necessary. So again, let's talk a little bit more about it. And you define something as covenant relationships, and that's different from friendships. And when I say the word support, Support is different than maybe a friend at the office that is not. That's right. Yeah. So explain that a little bit more. Yeah. So made for people, if you read it or listen to any podcast like this on it, mm -hmm. you'll get to this idea of covenant friendship, which is basically my way of trying to distinguish deep abiding relationships from 
the normal word friend because like we live in a time where friend the word has been diluted you know a friend is something that you can do with a click on facebook and that's not what i'm talking about what i am talking about in covenant friendship is this someone who knows you fully but loves you anyway and you'll see that in like a, a graphic page pull out on the on the in the book if you like we try to do a lot of gra graphics in the book, so you'll see a big definition. is A friend is someone who knows you fully and loves you anyway. And what I'm getting at in that definition is that a real friend, a covenant friend, is someone who you can actually disclose everything to. So your most embarrassing problems or your most traumatic secrets or the things that you're not telling everybody but you, that you need to tell somebody. This is the art of vulnerability, chapter one in the book. It's that idea of having people that close to you. It doesn't have to be a lot. Really, it can't be a lot. You can only have a couple friends like this. Nobody can or should be telling everyone everything all the time. That's actually the mark of emotional unhealth. But having some people or one person, everybody needs someone to whom they tell everything. And that's kind of part one of covenant friendship. Part two, which is equally important, because we all know how risky it is to tell our, you know, our, our secrets to other people, is someone who loves you anyway. And I, I use that phrasing intentionally um, because we all carry this sense that, are we actually lovable? You know, are, are, if someone actually walked into my house and saw what it looks like or walked into the house of my heart and saw what I feel like or knew the things that I struggle with, the things that I worry about, like what I think about when I lay my head on my, the pillow at night, would they still like me or would I still be okay? And a great friend is the kind of person who looks you in the eye and says, 100%, you're, you're weird, you're messed up, you're flawed, just like me. And not only do I love you anyway, it's kind of why I love you anyway, because you're a real person who has chosen to make themselves vulnerable to me. And what I would say about that is just that, one, yes, that's hard, but Brene Brown is actually credited with saying this, it's really important. What looks like um, failure to you when you share it, looks like courage to a friend. So when you actually tell your secrets and tell what's hard for you, <coughs> excuse me, your friend will see that as a mark of courage. Um, and that's actually a one way that we build each other up by telling the truth. And secondly, Diane, just on the emotional health stuff you talked about earlier, that is what makes us different people. We become, you know, mental health struggles will crush us when we go through them alone. But when you walk them with, through them with a covenant friend who knows you fully but loves you anyway, it's not even enough to say your outcomes change. Yes, your outcomes change. Your whole life will change. I mean, anxiety is not the same when you walk through it with a friend. Depression is not the same when you walk through it with a friend. They're, they're hard. I'm not saying they're easier. But you can make it alongside a friend. And science will show you over and over. Happiness empirically documented to be connected to good relationships. Longevity, empirically documented to be connected to deep relationships. So I'm trying to tell people this idea of covenant friendship, this isn't for after you stop being busy with parenting, or this isn't, this isn't for after you get done with this hard season of work. This is for right now. You need it for the crush of parenting. You need it for the crush of work. You need it wherever you are. Absolutely. I'm thinking of the people in my life that, again, are more introverted or just struggle to 
feel vulnerable. And I'm also thinking, I saw I'm speaking specifically of women that I know, but I'm also thinking about the listener that maybe has that for herself, but her husband doesn't want to go to that heart level to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. male friends. So how would you encourage, uh, this is a hard question. Uh, how no, would, yeah, it's a good one though. Yeah, how would you encourage a wife to encourage her husband or support her husband in finding those people for him? Finding his people. Yes. Let me, let me address both of those. First, the person that feels you know introverted or this is hard or I'm too busy. Yeah. I think the great thing about friendship is that it's radically disproportionate to the time that we put into it. So what I want to tell you is that there's actually a low bar here. There's not a lot that you have to do in one way. Anything else that, that, is, that is that important to your health requires lots of hours, like sleep, you know, at least seven, hopefully more. Eating, you have to think about it all the time. You have to be planning for it all the time. You have to do it all the time. Hydrating, there's all these things that you really have to do all the time. Friendship, I recommend in, in the book, you know, about one hour a week as a regular rhythm will completely change your life. And this is great news, right? So one phone call on Tuesday evening to that friend who you know you can talk to, or one regular Saturday morning coffee that everybody has one hour, and if you don't think that you do, just look at your smartphone stats or your TikTok, Instagram, whatever stats, and you realize, oh yeah, yeah, I could carve that back a little bit. I have an hour, you know, and and I just think that's encouraging to people. It's not a lot of your time, but when you set up a regular rhythm, and I have one with my two best friends, Matt and Steve, Tuesday nights, every other Tuesday night, and tonight is our night, actually, we're hanging out, we're recording this on Tuesday. We just get together after the kids go to bed and talk honestly for about an hour. And my experience of life is so deeply different because of that one hour. You know, I can go a whole week energized by the fact that, okay, somebody knows my struggles, they know me fully, and they love me anyway. Um, so set up that rhythm. It's, a, it's kind of a low bar. When you do that, you put friendship on display to the people in your life, including your spouse and including, including your children. Unfortunately, I, I do not know of any way for a mom or a wife to convince their husband, you know, or to force their husband to do this, nor do I know of any way the husband can force their wife to do this. Um, I could say two things on that. One, send them to me. Like, share this podcast with them. Send them to my Instagram page where I, I share a lot of videos on this. Or honestly, be like, direct message me and, and tell me. I would love to help, but you, you can't force it. So one, you can put them in the way of information as, and you can set an example. The other thing that I think is really important that you can do, and Lauren and I try to, my wife Lauren and I, we try to do this for each other, is make it easy for them. So when Lauren tells me, hey, I wanna go to my book club this week. She asked me this two days ago, can we host at, my, at our house this week? I know that book club for her is a time where, yes, they're gonna talk about a book, but it's their gateway to relationship. They're, they're gonna start sharing about their lives and talking about what's hard and just bearing each other's burdens in a really significant way. So when she talks about book club, I'm like, you can have whatever you want. You wanna do it here? You want me to watch the kid? You know, you want me to? And so I try to make it easy so she doesn't even have to ask. She knows that's always possible for her. And I think setting you know, your spouse up, whether it's husband or wife, for success there and saying, you need to, you need to get out with so-and-so. Take, take Saturday and go do that or take this weekend. I, both of you should be supporting each other. If it's one way, we, we kind of have a problem. you know. But you can help your spouse with that. You can't force it. 
but you can show it off to them, you can do it yourself, and you can help make it easy for them. No, that's great advice. That's, I will say, that is something my husband and I have always tried to do is keep those relationships that we have, uh, just giving each other that space of, hey, can I do this? And the answer is almost always yes. I can take the kids because I know you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We're here for one another and we're each other's like that. And it's, you know, just what nuance one thing, it's, it's different, particularly with men, I think this is important. It's different just sending them out to like watch the game with friends or like go have beers. I mean, I, I love doing both of those things. But what you want to help them do is steward them into conversation because that's where the real life burdens are born. So I don't take this as you should give your spouse carte blanche to do whatever they want. I'm talking about looking for opportunities where, well, with that friend, I know they'll be talking about important stuff. I want to encourage that one, you know. And, you know, getting to know your spouse and knowing when they open up and when they don't and trying to encourage them into those opportunities is a great service. Absolutely. I'm thinking about now that it, in Ohio, I'm in Ohio, so it's starting to get cooler out at night. And I know one of the places my husband will connect with his friends is over a fire because you don't have to look at each other. But you have this, you're all just sitting around a fire and it seems to be a good space for people to connect with one another that doesn't feel as intimate because it's dark and it's highly recommend that. I completely support fire pits. I, I've actually read a, a bunch of books on this and, and people people actually try to connect it to just something that's in our DNA that, that we relate. And, and as humans have since ancient times, they've gathered around fires to relax and unfold. And I think one of the fascinating things there is that we do tend to gather around a third thing, particularly a glowing thing of light and we talk over fires. However, problem now is we tend to gather around screens as opposed to fire. And when we are looking at the glowing screen looking for relationships, whether it's on social media or just text messaging, I'm not opposed to those things. I just wanna note that those are not the rich kinds of relationships that actually sustain the stuff that we're talking about. So I try to tell people social media, screen-based relationships, um, think of them as snacks. You, you know, they can be great and they can be used healthily, but if you build a diet out of snacks, you know the health outcomes. You need meals to, to live, and you, same, same relationally. If you build your set of relationships off of technological snacks, we know the health outcomes. Don't do it, you know, feast at a fire pit, you know, or do whatever you do to get around a fire or something else and actually talk, because that's the kind of thing that sustains the health that we're looking for. But on the flip side, you do talk about that you can leverage technology in building a richer relationship. And I've seen this, my husband and I were very close with his sister and her husband, and we have a group text. We'll just shoot funny memes in there or just a random thought that we have. We don't use it all the time, but it's kind of a quick way to touch base. Hey guys, I'm thinking about you. And we go about our day. So what are your other suggestions for leveraging technology? Yeah, I appreciate that you mentioned that because I try to be nuanced in this chapter. There's a chapter on technology in the book where I basically say exactly what you just said, Diane. It's actually incredible. It's incredibly helpful to relationships in many ways, as long as you're in the category of these are snacks that tied us over to the next meal, right? But some of those healthy snacks are great text chains, I think. We have really fun and really funny and really meaningful text chains in our groups of friends that just are full of 
anything from like jokes or songs or memes that we're sending that morning to, hey, we just had a marriage. Can you all be thinking of us? Can you all pray for us? Or, or hey, we just had a health issue. Can somebody help us get dinner? Or I just found out my parent has cancer. Um, I don't even know what to say. And th- these things are, we're able to relate, care, pray for each other, think of each other in real time. And it is so incredibly helpful to sustaining a sense of relationship so that when we get to the fire pit or when we get to that coffee or that hangout, we know what each other has been going through and we can follow up on it in long form. So like when I hang out with my two friends, Matt and Steve tonight, I know kind of the, some of the stuff that's been going on in their life this week that we're going to talk about because of the text chains. But now we can actually sort of unpack it. And so I just really affirm communications like that. And I keep saying text changed because that is a closed loop where you talk amongst yourselves, which is different than updating the world generally on social media. That is where anybody can communicate and there's nothing sort of special about what we share there. It's, it's curated, right? Like we all know we, we put thought in the post. Like what do we want everybody to see? Um, the more private a medium gets, like text or, or closed group chats, um, FaceTimes, I think the better it is. So I would look for more private mediums like text chains or more real-time mediums like FaceTimes or, or Zoom calls where you can see each other's reactions and reactions. And those are great snacks. They're not the meals, but they're great snacks. Absolutely. Okay, one last thing I wanted to talk about that is, it can be and typically is of friendships that are long-term is conflict. And when conflict arises, how can we keep those relationships strong? Obviously forgiveness, but can you expand a little bit more on, on this chapter? The chapter on forgiveness turned out to be my favorite to write because it was the hardest and most emotional to write. So I think I became attached to it. And, and Diane, like I, I couldn't avoid the conclusion that if you can't do forgiveness, then you can't do friendships. We have like, there are two ingredients to friendships a broken person and a broken person. So unsurprisingly, we are going to find places where we hurt each other, um, where we let each other down, where we disappoint each other. We, I really want people to expect a lot from their friendships, people who know them fully and love them anyway. But you also need to expect that people will fail in knowing you fully or letting you in fully. They will fail in loving you anyway. And that is normal. I think what messes us up is when we hold our friendships to this standard of perfection to say, if you hurt me, then I'm done. As opposed to saying, I'm not surprised. Um, In fact, friends like family are kind of the ones who can hurt us most, but that's why we need forgiveness. Because if hurt or any sort of error is the end of friendships, we'll never have them. We'll throw them out like disposable cups the first time, you know, they spring a leak. And that's why the modern world is the way it is because we tend to just dispose of our relationships when they get hard. Learning to forgive means you take the things that you thought were barriers to relationships and you make them doorways to deeper relationships by having the hard conversation and saying, this really hurt me. And, and for the person on the other side to be like, well, I need to understand that. I'm kind of offended that you even said that. Look, we do this. I do this with my guy friends. You know, we, uh, we get in fights on our text chains that I just mentioned, for example. And for example, recently we've had to be like, we need to talk in person. And we get together and we start to hash out. This was really annoying. He said, why did you say that? Like that made me mad, you know, 
just being honest and and looking each other in the eye and saying, what can I do differently or how can I communicate differently? This is, I'm not trying to say this is easy. This is really hard. But I do want people's paradigm to shift to say, I should expect difficulty in my relationships and I should look at moments of conflict and forgiveness as the doorway to deeper ones, not the closed door to, oh, this is over. When you change that paradigm, you are now in a world of possibility because now you can do covenant friendships, which necessarily means two broken people walking a, walking a long road together. And I, honestly, I think there's probably no more important thing that you can do in your friendships than learn to forgive your friends. Mm -hmm. And I have seen this in my own life, uh, again, specifically with my sister-in-law. She's one of my best friends, but we have not been without conflict. Uh, and I would say that one of the things that I think makes us so healthy now is if something starts to irk us or irritate, whatever, and also learn what battles to fight and what to let slide, you know? But I think sometimes we were seeing that we were both having this resentment that was unspoken of for a while until we blew up on one another. We ended up blowing up on one another and it was like, that probably wasn't the healthiest situation to find ourselves in, but we had never addressed some of these other things that we found irritating about one another. But we, we could have addressed those things because we were close enough with one another at the time. So my advice here is just, if the thing happens, way is it something to let go? But if it feels like it keeps coming back at you, have that conversation before it gets to that point of blow up. 100%, bringing up the small things and dealing with them early is brilliant in a number of ways. One, because you don't let it all build up. But two, it gives you practice. It's, it's, it gives you practice working through little things that are lower stakes to practice forgiveness at small levels so that you've actually exercised that muscle at the big levels. And I, I just want to say, if anybody's out there feeling like, yeah, but you know, my friends did this or that, or I can't find anybody to trust with their secrets, my secrets, I would just, I would just gently suggest if you're living in a world where your friends keep wronging you or everyone is failing you, is it possible that that is actually more of a product of the way that you're responding rather than what everybody else is doing? Because when it's unanimous and every, every single person is letting you down, it might be that you need to work on your perception of what your friends should be. And I think that is, that could sound judgmental, but I think it's really freeing because that allows you to say, oh, if I... If I expect this, which is difficulty, forgiveness, conflict, and friendships, well, then I can actually do them. But if you expect perfection, we can't do relationship because that doesn't exist. And so I want to free people up to say, walk into the difficulty. That's exactly why friendship is beautiful, because you get to work through your flaws together. They get to know your flaws, and you get to forgive their flaws, and we all get to love each other anyway. That's the greatest thing that you can do for your health. It's the greatest thing you can do for your parenting. It's the greatest thing you can do for your marriage which is why this is not just, I'll get to that next week. It's urgent now. Yeah, absolutely. Just not allowing it all to fester, absolutely. And also, I think there was one more thing I wanted to say with that. Oh, just our offense. We take such offense to things sometimes. And I think we have to remember that in these covenant relationships that we have, or these covenant friendships, as you call them, if we assume the best of our friends, I kind of hold that as a measurement to say, yeah, this thing was kind of not nice, but is it something worth the battle? And again, don't allow those things to fester long term if it is, but also assuming the best from those people that we know are on our team and on our side. And this is what we do or we should do in marriage too. Yes. I, I, 
I 100% affirm that. And I would just say, this is part of my, you know, religious conviction. I'm a follower of Jesus, which I think about this with my kids. You know, when they're, when they have discipline issues with them, I want to approach them with the, both the grace of, I understand you make mistakes. I'll be gentle. But the truth of, I'm going to pull you out of your mistakes. And this has been a huge, anybody who read Habits of the Household will know this is a big deal. And it's because I know that grace and truth have been shown me. I'm going to be called higher, yes, but I'm also going to be up, approached and come to. And I think with my friendships, I want to do the same thing. I want to say, what would I want? If what, How would I want somebody to believe the best of me in that moment? I mean, that's... It's so easy to be judgmental of our friends. Like, why do they do that? Why do they say that? How can they not understand this about me? But just give your friends that grace that you expect and say, what would, in the in my best light, what would they be thinking? Or in their best light, how why would they have done that? But also approach them with truth and say, hey, I want to believe the best of you, but that did hurt my feelings. That that sort of grace and truth lens that yes, we have problems and we'll, we'll do truth, but we're all broken. And it's not that we deserve grace, but miraculously we get it. Um, that changes my interaction with my kids, changes my interactions with my spouse. It should change your interactions with your friends. You extend to them grace and truth, and you're in a whole different world of friendship. Absolutely. Well, this was just a little bit of what you have in your new book, Made for People. So where can listeners grab a copy of it or connect with you online? You can grab a copy at your local Amazon retailer online <laughs> or any bookstore. Um, and I would love it. Particularly, I would love if you read it, leave me a review or just send me a review. This book has only been out for a month right now, and I'm so eager to hear more of what people think. If you want to follow along with any of the stuff that I talk about, my website, justinwhitmoreearly.com, there's an email list there, and I send out stuff all the time and notes to um, articles that I'm working on. Or Instagram is where I'm most active. If you look me up there, um, I put out a lot of videos on parenting, on habits, and on friendship. And you're welcome to direct message me there or follow along. I don't respond immediately, but I always respond. So feel free to reach out. Great. Well, I don't know if I did this when you were here. Let's see here. Episode 197. I think I was doing this then, but I just do two quick fire questions at the end. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners? A beneficial resource in my life. Um, well, a beneficial resource in my life that is on habits, but not that one, is it called The Power of Habit. That is the book that actually is more long-form narrative on the psychology of habit. And it, particularly as relating to this book, Made for People, it gets into why we need other people to build the lives that we want to have. It gets into some of the psychology of why we can't build habits alone. So that's been an awesome resource and enduring one. I think I read it eight years ago and it's still one of the top books that I've read. I think I read it about eight or 10 years ago too. Charles something, Charles D. I can't Charles remember. Charles Duhigg. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's right. Okay. Yeah. I'll include yeah. that in the notes because that's an excellent resource. And can I add one, Diane? Because now that I'm like, oh, this yeah. an incredible resource for yeah. me as, an, as a parent recently has been the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. Sissy Goff and David Thomas um, as a as a guy with four boys, we just look at David Thomas and like give us all the boy like help and psychology that that you have. They they're wonderful. So super good parenting resource. My wife and I got to go to Nashville and do a podcast with them recently, which is about to come out. They're incredible people, and their resource raising boys and girls is so so helpful. Okay, I'll definitely. I need to listen to that because I 
I don't know how to parent boys. I'm struggling over here. <laughs> it's worth your time. They'll give you yeah. some help. Yeah. Well, my last question is, what is something you can't stop talking about? Uh, me, along with the rest of the world right now, can't stop talking about the bear. This show about the, uh, the chef, it's on Hulu right now. Great stuff on forgiveness. Also on topic. It's a fun, it's a fun show. Um, my wife and I have gotten really into it, but it's not only a fun show about restaurants and what it's like in the kitchen. It's a really good, good exploration of how to forgive family members and close friendships who do wrong you. And so it, it just came to mind on this topic of forgiveness. There's really, really great stuff of working through relational problems. Um, so go check it out. That was one of those things that my sister-in-law and brother-in-law sent to us in that group text. You guys got to watch The Bear. So. I, I, so many people have told me about it recently, and I'm like, man, this is blowing up. And I, my wife and I started watching it. We're like, I don't know why this is so good, but it is really good. It deserves the attention that it's getting. Cool. Well, I will have to check it out. And again, your book is Made for People, Why We Drift into Loneliness and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship. You're holding it up right now. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you joining me today. Thanks a lot, Diane. It's always fun. Um, I hope you'll ask again. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.